We welcome RNZ's Deputy Political Editor Craig McCulloch. MPs old and new are arriving at Parliament as the dust settles after Saturday's election. The exact makeup of the Parliament won't be known until after November 3rd when the special votes are announced. There are 567,000 of them, 20% of the total. The closest electorate seat is to Atatū, where Nationals' Angie Nicholas leads Phil Twyford by just 30 votes. But there are other seats that National leads in where the leaders below 100 votes. There are some Auckland seats where Labour's narrowly ahead. There's much to be determined, including whether a National and Act could form a government on their own or will need a third party. The question is whether they may make an arrangement with at least one third party regardless. Deputy Editor Craig McCulloch, good morning. Thanks for your time. How are you? Good, thank you. So what's happening? MPs returning to Wellington. I know there were some flights that were very unhelpful over the weekend to returning journalists. Uh, But what's happening with respect to the return of the parliamentarians today? Yes, there was a great exodus from Auckland on Sunday. All the flights actually from Auckland to Wellington were full to the brim. So it was difficult for people who were trying to to rebook flights and the like. A lot of MPs are arriving at Wellington today, including, yes, Um, uh, the party leaders, or at least most of them, some of them are still en route. If not today, they will be here this week. There is now some movement, some impetus. That sort of post-election shock is starting to wear off, and now that post-election frenzy is kicking in. A lot of that hurrying up to wait, a sort of a sort of limbo as everyone is trying to find their feet, trying to figure out the next steps here. Obviously, most focus on that incoming government, what that is going to look like, what the negotiations, how that's going to play out, the gamesmanship, the haggling, the horse trading, every word from every player is is being weighed, it's being examined. So now the, the election, it, it may be over, but I think Christopher Luxon is going to face his first test, and that is whether or not he can form a functional government. All right, uh, we'll get to that in a moment, but mm. just as a, a first call, first sort of course of action, is there a cabinet meeting today of what is now very much a caretaker cabinet? Yes, we have had we haven't had a great deal of correspondence or information actually coming out of Camp Labour um, as they sort of try and pick up the pieces. We do not have a great deal of detail. I expect that that cabinet meeting this morning there will be um, a degree of commiseration going on, some reflection, perhaps some early strategic discussions around the party leadership before the the wider party, the wider caucus meets tomorrow. So yes, they are in that caretaker government mode. It basically means that they're responsible for keeping the lights on. They're responsible for dealing with matters as they arise, but they will not be making any major decisions, any major announcements. Really, the only big thing at the moment that's out there on the radar that could come up that New Zealand needs to address is is the situation going on in Israel. Um, However, Labour and National are sort of on the same page with that anyway, and I expect that if, if there was any movement to be happening in that area or any other, um, there would be uh, discussions between both National and Labour before any movement was made there. OK, around 40 new, brand new MPs, I think there they there will be. Any sign of them at Parliament today? Will they be having first caucuses tomorrow? How does this initiation happen for them? Yes, the freshers are all here. So orientation week for new MPs. Plenty of them um, have been wandering around the the corridors. I've spotted this morning, kind of trying to get their um, get their grounding, try and get their bearing. Rather, um, they here to be kind of schooled up this week. I guess basically learn the job, get acquainted with um, one another. 
There aren't many new MPs for Labour, just two who have won new electorates, but there are a bunch for the other parties, including uh, uh, quite a few who probably wouldn't have expected to be here. Some of those national MPs who picked up seats in Auckland, for example, perhaps those Te Pāti Māori MPs, um, Te Pāti Māori candidates who have picked up seats that really weren't expecting to win. So they will be making arrangements. They're swinging in from around the country. And yes, they will be meeting tomorrow. Well, we know for sure that Labour will be. They've got... Uh, Two meetings scheduled for tomorrow, one in the morning, which will be something of a farewell for the many, many MPs who will be heading off. They're all coming back to clear out their offices. And then the second meeting will be with the new caucus, um, and that there will be setting direction and potentially be some soul-searching going on as well. Some big questions there for Labour about exactly what went wrong for it. Obviously, they were dealing with a lot of factors given cost of living, crime, the COVID-19 hangover, and and all those ministerial scandals we saw earlier this year. But there are also going to be questions about Chris Hipkins' decisions, um, notably his decision to rule out a wealth tax. There were many in the caucus that were unhappy about that. So they've got some big question marks there, things that they're going to have to consider um, in these meetings in the days ahead and also the weeks ahead. So there's sort of two caucus meetings in effect for for Labour, did you say, uh, with some of these others, for example, the National Party, which has now uh, increased significantly its caucus, it's full of uh, newbies I'm just trying to total up how many uh, brand new MPs, I think there's 21 of them um, brand new MPs and, and so again how much is tomorrow just dealing with the excitement and uh, but also I guess sort of um, trying to introduce some of the concepts of how things work around here to those new MPs Yes, I think that you're right. I think that that is, will be the focus for those new MPs in particular. Those new national MPs are actually meeting this afternoon, so the newest ones. Um, Christopher Luxa will be meeting with them, and then they will be ta- dealing, of course, too, with parliamentary service, just trying to get the lay of the land and figure out how that works. Like I said, some of them weren't expecting to be here, so it will be quite a bit for, the, for them to get their heads around. At a higher level, the party's senior leadership, particularly national, um, they are going to be focusing a little bit more on the future on those negotiations and how that's going to play out. Well, let's talk about how that is underway already because they have this interregnum where there's a slim majority as things stand, uh, but perhaps too slim for comfort. And the real possibility it will disappear by the time specials come in. We know there's been some contact and call between National and two potential supporters of, of some kind or another. ACT is a likely uh, coalition partner in New Zealand first, potentially in some kind of support arrangement. But how far have they got, Craig, in establishing relations and how much can unfold between now and November 3rd? Yes. Uh, let me lay out the numbers first of all because it is interesting and it is tight. There are a lot of discussion, a lot of, there is a lot of discussion about all those various iterations. Currently we're looking at National and Act on 61 seats out of 121. Make that 62 out of 122 after that Port Waikato by-election on November 25th. The party though expects to lose at least one seat on the special vote. That is what um, Chris Bishop has admitted. That the, that vote, the special vote, does tend to favour the, the left. The final count as you point out that's November 3rd so it is tight and it is highly likely National will be looking to buy some insurance that is all the messaging that we're hearing out of the party and hearing from Christopher Luxon it will want to shore up that majority because right now it's very fine so it's likely 
that we are talking about a something like a national act coalition with New Zealand First in some sort of support capacity. I would not rule anything out yet, but that's probably the most likely. Winston Peters will be looking to maximise his leverage. In terms of the communication and contact that has happened between both parties, Christopher Luxon has been fairly tight-lipped about that. He's been tight-lipped about how he wants it to play out. He said this morning that he does not want this to, to carry out this process through the media, that he will do it directly with the parties involved out of respect to them. Now, that might be a little bit hopeful because I suspect that the other parties will be talking to the media um, if only to to sort of increase and bolster their positions um, and uh, put, um, try and try and increase their leverage. Now, from New Zealand First's point of view, serious coalition talks cannot begin until after that final result. They will want to wait for that just to see or at least this is what they're saying publicly, that they'll want to wait to see um, until they can confirm just how much leverage that they do have, um, whether or not they're an essential component or whether they're just a nice to have. Now, they have indicated, however, that they are open to early conversations, and it is possible that they're going to want to that they could want to leverage the just general uncertainty we're in right now, because of course that final count might improve their negotiating position, it could also weaken it. So if they were offered a good deal in this process, before the early votes are, uh, are in, it, it is not impossible that they, they wouldn't take that. Now with ACT it's a bit more straightforward, conversations have already been going on throughout this campaign, ACT wants to lock in something, uh, or, or sort of a general outline of a deal anyway, before that final count, so that it can basically be rubber stamped after the fact, perhaps just some minor tweaks, depending on how New Zealand first comes into it. Um, Chris Luxon has made some positive noises so far about the, the sort of shared areas of agreement between those two parties, but ACT is going to be driving a hard bargain as well, don't expect David Seymour to roll over easily. So I'm interested in how far they have got uh, mm-hmm. in terms of specifics like how many ministerial seats, which ministerial spe- seats, will their referendum bottom line hold when uh, National has said that referendum uh, would not be helpful to the country? Like, Obviously no one's going to tell you um, or, or anyone in the media exactly uh, what they're prepared to relent on, but where do you see... Uh, you know, some of those key decisions landing. Yes, there is obviously areas of um, quite shared agreement between National and Act. There's been a lot of talk around the economy and and um, tax and spending. Now, although they have different degrees um, of, of and different approaches and, and, and how far they want to go, they're kind of generally heading in the same direction. Act will be wanting to cut back public spending a great deal more, and there might be some discussion there around tax. National has staked its um, National's lead, leader, Christopher Luxon, has staked his job on delivering tax cuts in some form. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that if the exact nature of those tax cuts is tweaked somewhat, because of course there are other areas which might be more difficult. The foreign home buyers tax, for example, that Christopher Luxon and Nicola Willis have had have promised, um, they might run into some difficulties getting that past Winston Peters, um, allowing you know the idea of allowing foreign buyers back into the market, for example. So there is going to need to be some movement there. They've National Act. There's some shared agreement in the law and order space. Uh, there is some shared agreement um, in in uh, uh, when it comes to the treaty, although that could be quite difficult because ex David Seymour, as you point out, they want a referendum, and Christopher Luxon has been very uncomfortable about that idea. He is uh, all all of his messaging up till now has been that he doesn't want to go down that path. That he thinks that would be a bad idea. That it would be divisive for the 
for the country. David Seymour has, on the other hand, talked about it as a key priority for him, one of his top priorities, even sort of getting as far as calling it a bottom line or as far as it goes when they talk about bottom lines. Anyway, that, that, they clearly see that as a priority. New Zealand First, although a, a large a, a large amount of overlap between New Zealand First and ACT in this area, New Zealand First doesn't support a referendum on this. So, so there will be some negotiation to go between those three players. It's not going to be straightforward um, in, in terms of landing on a final resting place. Look, it's really interesting. Um, Winston Peters referencing the opening of the books, uh, and, and of course there will be um, the, the next official opening of the books is the December fiscal, fiscal economic update, the DFU, uh, and Nationals already talked about having a, a, a mini budget before uh, Christmas. One wonders where, how much the fiscal situation, the questions around whether that foreign buyer's tax was going to bring in anything like the sums projected, all the gambling tax. One wonders whether um, the fiscal constraints are going to sort of affect the nature of these negotiations. Last time New Zealand First, in a far more powerful position, obviously, had a substantial dollar figure attached to its provincial growth fund. You know, what, what is realistic in this situation for um, um, for gains for your party? Yes, certainly that has been the messaging coming out of David Seymour throughout this uh, election campaign in terms of w- what constraints they will be facing, basically economic constraints, given how tough the economic environment is right now. Certainly economists will say this is not the time for big spending, this would be not the time for big massive tax cuts, for example, this would not be the time for splashing money around. New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters has talked about how he's uncomfortable with the tax package that National is proposing because he thinks that it would be too inflationary, as some economists have said as well. He he wants quite a big tax cut um, in the form of a, a, a lower income bracket um, exemption. However, he's said that he wants to delay that till quite far in the future, given the economic constraints we're facing. So yes, I expect that there will be a fair degree of movement there. It might allow National to actually sideline some of those um, policy promises it's made that that in hindsight may not actually um, work out. I mean, we heard virtually uh, very few economists saying that National's numbers added up when it came to that foreign home buyers tax, for example, or the gambling tax. Um, neither of those uh, are particularly favourites for New Zealand First's caucus or for Winston Peters. So um, it, it may be an easy opportunity for National to say, oh, well, we weren't able to get that along, along across the line, um, sideline that, and then we don't need to look too much closer at the figures and whether or not it would have raised the revenue that they were promising anyhow. Yeah, the question is how much of that tax package might be in play for that, at least perhaps staging or delaying some of it which they were questioned intensively about during the campaign. Who's on the negotiating teams, by the way? It tends to be the leaders and often a chief of staff and, and perhaps a deputy or, or two. Yes, the negotiating teams will vary based on who National is dealing with. So National will put up different people for ACT um, and New Zealand First. Now, yesterday, Christopher Luxon met with a number of his MPs, his senior MPs, in his Remuera home for a three-hour strategy meeting. Um, looking at the people who were there will give you some idea of, of who probably will be involved. Todd McClay was there. We know that he has a fairly good relationship with Winston Peters. His father, Roger, Roger McClay, served in National's caucus back with Winston Peters in the 90s. 
1980s. Um, and so that, that, that um, there is an established relationship there, which I would expect National will be leaning on. Other MPs at that meeting yesterday were Simeon Brown, Paul Goldsmith, Chris Bishop, of course, as ca- the campaign chair was there, and Nicola Willis, the deputy leader. National's president, Sylvia Wood, was there. Luxon's, uh, Christopher Luxon's chief of staff, Cameron Burrows. So all these pl- people are in the mix and will be involved to various degrees. Jerry Brownlee is another person to keep an eye on. I expect him to be involved in negotiations with New Zealand First as, as he and Winston Peters have a respectful relationship and, and, and have been dealt with um, have dealt with one another in the past. Um, when you look at both the other two parties with New Zealand First and Act, New Zealand First, that will obviously involve Winston Peters. Shane Jones will be involved in some capacity. Former MP Derek Ball, he will be involved there in some to some degree. He's been played a, a large role during this campaign process in terms of organising and, and managing the strategy. When it comes to ACT, we're looking at David Seymour, of course, the Deputy Brooke Van Velden, successful in Tamaki as well, of course, so new electorate MP there. Their Chief of Staff, Andrew Cattells, he will be involved and, and likely a member of the party's board, though exactly who that is we don't know yet. They obviously are keen for a two-party arrangement. They want to keep New Zealand first out in the cold, but from what we're hearing from National and the messaging and the negotiations, it sounds like that they might want to bring in New Zealand first in some capacity, even if they don't need to, just for that insurance. I'm just trying to think also how many National Party uh, MPs just elected have ever been in government. I think I got to about four. Like, you know, it is going to be a pretty inexperienced cabinet uh, Absolutely. on that I mean, front. Yeah, Christopher Luxon, for example, first-term MP, so so um, no experience there, although as a chief executive he will have run meetings at, um, at a high level yeah, in the look, past. I, I'm, just gonna, I'm just not going to tolerate any more the comparison <laughs> between running a company and running a country. But anyway, um, you know, the, the fact is I think there's only four of them who've sat around that cabinet very table, little, even Very little government. cabinet experience. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, although Perhaps Mr remember, Peters will offer his assistance. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Who knows? And, and, and you cast your mind back to 2017, Labour was in a very similar situation. Situation. Then, when they came into government, yeah. um, Jacinda Ardern obviously didn't have any cabinet experience and, and, and led that government um, with New Zealand First uh, in, in a key role. Look, I guess the, the, the difference is the stuff that's happened since and, you know, the international situation. Uh, they'll, they'll find a Minister of Foreign Affairs with some experience. Oh, Judith Collins is another who's in there, so maybe we're up yes. to... We're up to four at least, maybe five. I don't know. Um, there's um, well, there's the international situation. There's, there's, there's the fiscal situation, um, and and then there's the there's, there's just those one-off kind of catastrophes that are, that are coming your way. The emergency situations. There's going to be a lot of learning that has to happen uh, very very uh, quickly, and we hope perhaps we'll have a few less of those um, dramatic events but who knows. And that lack of experience that you mentioned come in, in national uh, New Zealand First has been making a big deal about that. Um, obviously Winston Peters uh, is a very experienced um, um, MP. He's he has a wealth of experience behind him, and, and uh, as does Shane Jones. So he, that is part of um, his messaging this whole time, increasing his leverage and, and, and positioning himself as a sort of saviour, saying, here I am, an adult in the room, I'm going to be arriving to save the day, and I will be a, 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 a source of wisdom for these newcomers um, who will be coming in, and I'll be, they'll be able to rely on me for my great deal of wisdom. Well, that depends whether or not um, ministerial roles are part of that, and one would think Ed mm. wouldn't be too keen on that, but there's a long, long way to go. Now, Labour's decision-making uh, going ahead uh, from here, it had a disastrous night, of course. 
And the questions now are about whether Chris Hipkins stays as leader, how long he stays as leader, but also bigger questions. Is Grant Robertson going to want to do another three years there? You know, is David Parker, is Andrew Little? Um, and they need to think carefully about their own level of experience as they transition to a very different-looking team. They've kept some of the second-term, more promising cabinet potential MPs they potentially could have lost uh, had they not lost so many electorate seats. But what's their process going forward from here? Yes, some big questions for Labour, certainly. Labour's caucus will have to hold a vote, for one thing, on Chris Hipkins' leadership within three months of polling day. That's in their rules, so they will have to go through that, and Chris Hipkins will need a 60% majority in order to survive that vote. That is, of course, if he even decides to wait around for that long. He may decide to throw on the towel before then. For a moment on the election night, it did sound as if Chris Hipkins was going to resign in his concession speech. It did not quite get there. Certainly a result like this will demand some soul-searching, some reflection, uh, um, uh, uh, such a loss of such great magnitude. I was actually speaking to David Farah, Nationals pollster, on election night. This is the largest swing away from a party since the late 1930s, since the beginning of two-party New Zealand politics. But to be uh, fair, it was a party that was the first majority MMP government in our history, so it was a pretty extreme result that that indeed, was swinging away from. It, it was coming off an unusual yeah, base, yeah, and yes, yeah. 2020 was an aberration. But, yeah. but that base that Jacinda Ardern built, even going back to 2017, those voters have gone. Those voters have gone back to National, or they've gone to the Greens. Voters punished Labour, and Chris Chris Hipkins does have to take some responsibility yep. for that. Now, there will be second-guessing, as I mentioned before, key decisions like ruling out a wealth tax. Was that the right move? His strategy to target middle New Zealand. He tried that. It seems to have just scared away the disillusioned left for very little or no electoral gain in the centre. Um, also, that the first half of his campaign was really lacklustre. He didn't have that fire in his belly until too late. And if he didn't have the, his, the fire in his belly then... The question what's, is, does he have the, the fire in his belly? Now? Very yeah. quickly, uh, Carmel Cipollone has been a very safe pair of hands as a minister, actually, uh, and as the current deputy. Who else? Because this is what <laughs> a party doesn't want to happen. You don't want to go through three leaders in three years. Well, and that's right. And that is the other question here, and why indeed Chris Hipkins might stick around or might have to stick around, and that is who really is there in Labour ready to take over? I, I, you mentioned Grant Robertson before. I would expect him to exit stage left pretty promptly. Um, I think the fact that he moved out of that Wellington Central position, which he would have won very easily had he stuck around he moved into a list position was a pretty big signal that he expects to to um pack his bags and, and and go david parker as well probably now they have a great deal of experience so they might want to stick around for a little while um the party uh you know party um faithful will be urging them to do that anyway just to help sort of steady the waters um for a while but but um if he if they leave then that l removes those that experience we've already had other potential successes, people that we thought would have been the next in line, gone. Michael Wood, knocked out. Kitty Allen, not there anymore. Now, Kieran McAnulty, he's come back. He's He lost wider upper, but he comes back in on the list. So he's a potential name in the mix. But is he ready to take over as leader? And, and is that a good move? You mentioned Carmel Cipollone, of course, deputy. Is she the new face of the party? Could she do that? She's been very capable. But does she have the... the is she the person that can sort of 
rally the troops as it were megan woods is another name look none of these names though scream yeah. success there's no jacinda ardern in the wings there's yeah. no christopher luxon so i actually think labor would probably do well to stick with chris hipkins at least for six months yeah. or so while they get their ducks in a row well they need to be a decent opposition they need to get their heads around their portfolios and, and shift and they need to dry their tears at some point so let's see how it unfolds craig thanks very much craig mcculloch's rnz's deputy political editor